Good morning. Hope you're doing well. I'm glad to have you here. As you read in the uh, video, we are in our um, four-part series on spiritual disciplines. This is the last week. If you're just catching us this week, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, we're glad that you're here. Uh, basically, that, that verse that you saw on the, on the screen <clears throat> has kind of been our theme verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Some versions say, make it my slave, lest after preaching to others I should be disqualified. So as we've been going through this series... We have um, pushed and prodded and exhorted and encouraged and challenged all of us to start trying to think about challenging ourselves to be more spiritually disciplined. Um, so the four things as Jack and I thought and prayed about that Remedy Church specific could, could grow in and become better at. There's tons of stuff that most people need to grow in, but as we thought about it, we thought of those four particular things, Bible reading, serving, stewardship, and fasting. And so the last four weeks, we've had different people preach each time. Chris led it off with Bible reading, quite good. Um, and then Joe did serving, Jack did stewardship, and I'm doing fasting today. So uh, that's where we are today. We're going to be look, looking at fasting. And as we've been going through these spiritual disciplines, um, we're doing these spiritual disciplines not because disciplining yourself to be quote-unquote, more spiritual, somehow makes you have a better, more righteous, more uh, holy kind of view in God's eyes. We know that the gospel accomplishes all that before us. But instead, we're disciplining ourselves, bringing it under control, because we're well aware that there's things in our life, whether it be ongoing sin or not a heart for the lost, or things like that that can certainly be fostered, certainly things that can be grown in our life. And so we're, we're disciplining ourselves to be um, deeper, more... Uh, intentional followers of Christ. And so that's, that's what's going on here as we're looking at uh, fasting today. Now, fasting is maybe a little bit different category than most of you. As you've thought about the other things that, I, as I mentioned, Bible reading, you're like, oh yeah, I should always be reading the Bible. And, and serving, that's what God calls me. Jesus was the servant, so I should be. And certainly he's given me money and gifts to steward. That makes the most sense. But fasting, um, isn't that kind of the optional thing? Is, aren't I supposed to just be able to somehow, sometimes, maybe think about that, but not necessarily do it, that kind of stuff? But we're going we're gonna to get into that and try to answer some of those questions. Um, but in a... In a in an introductory way, I want to read some verses for us. And as we read these verses, um, I'm hoping that this will set the table for us as, as we think about what fasting might look like in our life. And I'm going to read just a couple psalms. Uh, actually, I'm just going to read a couple verses from a couple psalms to you. And as we hear these verses, I want you to think about your relationship with God and the way that you think about your soul and how it thirsts and yearns and longs for Jesus and see if, if you can repeat with the psalmist these particular words. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do, do we really want God like that in our life? In another place in Psalm 63, he says it this way, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so, as we're thinking about ourselves and as we're thinking about our walk with Jesus, um, the idea of whenever we're saying we're going to come and start talking about fasting, the reason why is, as we look at the psalmists write things like that, as they yearn and long for deeper intimacy and communion with God, the best question that we can ask ourselves is, do those psalms, those lines of those verses, describe our feelings right now for God? 
Because if they don't, then maybe we should consider some of these spiritual disciplines of fasting and the Lord would be kind and gracious to us and cause us to start feeling these kinds of things because certainly God has given us emotions and feelings for a reason. They're not negative things. They're good things, um, understood and rightly tempered. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go, jump into the idea of fasting. And, and uh, there's basically three kind of parts as we look at this. As, as we look, so if, if you're thinking outlines and you need to be able to follow me, then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you what fasting is all about. Why, uh, why, what are some principles of fasting? What does the Bible have to say about fasting? So that's, we're going to have three of those. And then if you say, okay, I sign on, I agree, I believe it. What are we going to fast for? What are the three things that Remedy is going to fast for? And then lastly, what are the three things that it's actually going to look like? How are we actually going to do it then? So three, three sets of three. Uh, let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would be with us as we look at this idea of spiritual discipline um, through fasting. As I read these particular verses in Psalm 42 and Psalm 63, I'm well aware that in my own life, God, there, there are many times where I can't say with the psalmist that my soul literally is panting for God, that I have looked upon him in his sanctuary, beheld his power and his glory, and now, as in a dry and weary land, my heart and my soul feel dry and weary like a desert, and they deeply desire to look upon and be with and intimately know and commune and have a time of intimacy with Jesus. And there's just times in my life where that's not the case. But I do want it, God. And I pray for us all as we look at this spiritual discipline of fasting, that as we think on what you might have for us in this, God, that we would, by the power of the Spirit, ask that you would come now and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard some preaching or conversation or talking about fasting. And so I'm, I want you, as you're hearing this, to maybe ask the Spirit with fresh ears to think about it and, and see if this is repeat information, if this is stuff that I've heard before, how can I receive it? How can I hear it so that I can um, put this into practice or walk deeply with Jesus? Or if this is new thoughts to you, fasting uh, is something that you've never even thought about and certainly hasn't ever been on your radar screen as a Christian. Um, maybe that he would open up your eyes to hear and receive some of these things because I think that as we go through our life spiritually, that it would be good. It's definitely good. It's in the Bible, right? Um, so before we jump in, I want us to think about this just on a, on a kind of a big picture level. The idea, and, and when I say fasting, I'm going to keep uh, referring to food the entire day. Now, there are other things that you can fast, which I'm well aware of. Many of you might need to fast television like right now or, or social media like yesterday. I'm well aware that there's many things that we can fast. Um, I had a social media fast last fall. So I understand that there's, there's things that we can fast other than food. Um, but I'm going to use food as my example the entire time because I think it's unique comparatively. The reason why is if you fast food, God has designed our bodies to physically feel that pretty quickly. If you fast video games, you don't have like a video game section of your stomach that, that gives you a pain. You're like, oh yeah, I'm fasting video games. God, I want you more than video games. Like, but food itself, there's just this God-given automatic feeling of hunger, and those hunger pains aren't bad things. And so uh, the first thing is the big picture I want us to think about is the idea that God has gifted us with appetites. 
the desire for food in and of itself is a gift that we have. And some people don't have that. Like there are people that don't feel hunger pains. They just have to know they have to eat on a clockwork schedule. But the idea that we have hunger pains given to us as a, as a gift, you say, that's not a gift. I, I don't like it. The reason why it's a gift is when we fast spiritually, whenever we're fasting um, from food and we're, we're doing it for a spiritual reason, then whenever we feel those pains, then we can with the psalmist say, I am feeling physically hunger pains right now. But what I want, God, what I deeply desire is that you would cause and create in my soul the same kind of hunger pain, not physical, but spiritual hunger pain, that in my deepest soul, I would hunger for Christ, that I would feel this deep angst inside of my soul that says, I don't want food right now. Thank you for the reminder that I want food. I'm going to take that instead of eating food. I'm going to use it to say, cause that same pain to feel deep in my soul that I would say, I want you this much, oh God. As much as I would want food right now, I don't want it. Instead, I want to focus in on Jesus and use that hunger pain as the alert or the alarm clock that pushes me into pressing into Christ, seeking him in his word, praying, etc. So, Um, hunger pains in and of itself are actually a gift for us right now that much more we can say we want that spiritually. Now, fasting, Christian fasting, is different than any other fasting. So um, in other religions, it's designed as a work in order to appease the deity to have a right relationship with that God. And with Christian fasting, that's not what it's about. We have already 100% secure with Jesus, because of Jesus and his death for us on the cross. And so fasting is not some kind of appeasement of the deity as a work of righteousness. Also, um, fasting is not just some kind of secular idea where you're like, ah, oh, kill two birds with one stone. Fast for Jesus, cut some weight. Do both of those at the same time. Sounds good. Like, that's not Christian fasting either, either that we're just, it's like going to couple it with our diet or body cleansing or whatever those kinds of things are. Um, instead, Christian fasting, uh, and we're going to be, peeping over the shoulders of a book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. It's his book on fasting throughout the, throughout the uh, sermon today. And I just invite you, if you're more interested, just go buy the book and read it. Um, but he says Christian fasting is birthed out of a homesickness for God. It's birthed out of a homesickness for God. I've worked at camps for kids and been a youth minister. So uh, in 94, 95, 96, 97, those four summers were kind of devoted towards working at Christian camps. And so I've dealt with the fourth grade little boys that are home away, are away from their house the very first time for a whole week. And by like Monday night, they're constipated and they're scared to death. And just, I just want to go home. I don't want to go. And they're crying. And I'm like trying to change their mind. Like, look, lollipops or whatever. And like, no, I want mommy. And like, you can just imagine. I know it's sad. And so, um, and even as a youth, as a youth minister, as you go on trips and it's their very first ski trip and they're in seventh grade and they don't know anybody and they wet their pants or whatever. And they're like, I just want to go. And like those kinds of things. Um, so I've experienced those things. And where the kid, it's almost like difficult to reason with them. There's this deep down, never been away from mom or dad. And I want to be with them bad. This is not going to work. And this is Christian fasting. We need to have a homesickness. Though we've never been there, this isn't right. I don't want to be here anymore. There's a homesickness for Jesus where everything inside of me is is understanding that I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another world. And though I've never been there, there's a growing angst and desire to be there with him. And so fasting is born out of the homesickness for Jesus. Saying, I just... 
I want to see and know and, and be with and commune with Christ in a more intimate and deep way. Um, we're going to talk about that and how that would look in just a second. But that's, that's Christian fasting. It's not, you know, dieting or anything like that. So who is this sermon for? I would love to say and have been praying that this sermon is for every single person in this room. And I, I pray that it is. But if we're asking who's this sermon for, it's for the person that is hungry for God. It's for the person that deeply desires more intimacy with Jesus. Piper says that when we, when we fast, we say, My heart is hungry for all the fullness of God. I long for a deeper work of God in the midst of his people. I yearn for a mighty tide of missionary zeal to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ and all things for the joy of all peoples. I long to see unmistakable, supernatural new birth, that's people becoming Christians, taking place week in and week out through the compelling witness of God's transformed people. That's you filled with the Spirit, telling other people the gospel, wherever Jesus is named. That is why we fast. This is exactly why we would fast. We would fast because we find ourselves spiritually in a place where we say, I can't keep going with the way that things are. I desperately need to see a move of God in my life. It's just been too long for me. It's been too long since I've really felt. Uh, I can recall the time where I was clicking on all cylinders and I was walking deeply with Jesus. And now, as I look at my life, that's not happening. And I can't deal with the way that it is anymore. I need to go back to that place. My soul is anxious now to start seeing salvation with people that I know that don't need Jesus or don't, don't know Jesus. My soul is becoming anxious My heart is distressed because I'm not experiencing growth anymore and I can't keep going now with the way that things are. And if your heart is feeling this, these are the feelings for people that are going to, I think, experience deep growth through fasting. So this is why we fast. So that first section is, what are some things then about fasting? If you're going to tell me about fasting then, Fudd, what are some things I need to know from the Bible about it? Well, there's three things. The first one, um, if you've been with us for like the last three years, we've been going through the book of Matthew. We should actually finish it this spring. Uh, but back whenever we were in Matthew chapter 6 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing I want you to know about fasting is going to be right there, looking at chapter 6, verse 16. Um, I'll read it to you. If you don't have a Bible, you can just grab one of those underneath. Uh, it says this. And when you fast, this is Jesus talking to the people. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So if you're fasting, you're just, you know, trying to look emaciated and you're looking all, I'm so tired. I'm fasting for like the last 75 hours. And I'm just, you know, and so he says, when people see that and they look at you and like, oh, you are so spiritual. I look up to you. He said, in that moment right there, you have received your reward. What you desired is for the other person to look at you and say, you're just awesome. And he says, that's the reward you get. Praise from men. But then he says, that's not the goal in fasting. Instead, but when you fast, or that's not one of the things that you should try to strive for in fasting. Instead, don't look gloomy. Don't like, make yourself look you know, disfigured or, or whatever. He says, instead, but when you fast, anoint your head with anoint your head with oil and wash your face. In other words, take a shower, look presentable, don't look all discombobulated like everybody must know. Oh, he must be fasting. Look at him. He can barely walk. Um, it's, it's, 
wash yourself up, do everything you can so that no one would know that you're fasting. And he says, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first thing that if we're going to talk about fasting, what's something I need to know is if you're going to fast, then fasting is about the glory of God. Fasting is for God's glory, not ours. We don't fast so that other people think we're awesome. We fast because we want to strive for and see and know God's glory. Anytime and every time I fast, no one knows besides my wife. She's the only one because she's making the food, right? She, she doesn't like it if she makes this big meal. and I'm like, ah, I'm fasting. Sorry, not eating today. You could have told me that, fun. Could have told me that. So, like, and I don't feel like I'm like, Christy, I'm so spiritual. I am fasting. She's not impressed. She's not impressed with me at all. So the, uh, the idea here, and she's in first service, so I can say that. So um, the first principle that we need to realize, if we're going to fast, if we're going to be a believer that wants to seek Christ in this way, then we don't do it because we want the praise of other men. Instead, we're seeking God's glory. All we want is for God to be glorified through this event, through this act of fasting. The second one is this. Um, this is going to sound strange, um, and I've in- intentionally chosen these words because I think of everything I'm going to say today, that this might be the most important thing. You know, point two of the first little thing. Fasting always means feasting. Fasting always means feasting. If you remember anything else, if you, if you only write one thing down today, write that. I think it's the most important thing that I'm going to say. Fasting always means feasting. And I've even alliterated it for us so we can remember it. Um, but you look at it and you say, well, what does that mean? How does that work? Fasting always means feasting. If you flip one page over, I want to help us understand it. In Matthew 9, uh, he's talking about fasting again, Jesus is. And, and in the situation, you've got the Pharisees that kind of follow the Old Testament law and patterns of fasting. And then you've got John's disciple, John and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples. Now these, John's disciples and Jesus and his disciples are distinctively Christian, not like the Pharisees. But John's disciples are ascetics. Um, they, they don't partake of a lot of the things of the world. They, they don't partake of uh, a lot of food. They barely eat. They, barely, they just don't do a whole lot of thing, a lot of things that would participate in these free gifts that God's given us like food, etc., etc. Um, and so they're all the time fasting. But they follow Jesus. And then you've got Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is like going to parties. He's hanging out with people. He's always eating. He's at the things. And so you look at these two sets of disciples and you're like, they're fasting all the time. Jesus, you're always just eating. You know, you're, you're all the time enjoying all this stuff. And so how come you've got people that are supposed to be Christian? And why is, there, why is there this distinct difference between the two of you? And so Jesus answers that. So they come up to him. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? Because they, they're fasting a very similar pattern. And these particular people are fasting as Christians, and they're, they're not. The Pharisees were not Christian. But he says, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus, like, they eat more than anybody. You know, not, maybe not, but they, they do. They eat a lot. And so they're kind of like, that looks better than here, because I'm always hungry. And your disciples, like... Judas is getting big, Jesus. Um, They didn't say that. But verse 15, Jesus answers that. That was ridiculous. They didn't say that. Verse 15 says this. Um, Jesus said to them, all right, so he's going to paint the picture for them of why his disciples are fasting um, and are not fasting and why it's okay while they're with Jesus not to fast. He says, can the wedding guests, he's going to paint it in this this illustration of, of a wedding. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He, Jesus is the bridegroom. He's like, I'm here with you, physically present with you. Like, you, you have me right here. You wouldn't be sad. I'm here with you. 
And so he, he says, the, the, they wouldn't mourn as long as he's with them. Now, if the, if the groom leaves and he's not with them anymore, then they, there becomes a longing and a yearning for him to be back. And so he says, can the wed, wed, wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Speaking of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. And as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, as we see in Matthew 28, the bridegroom is now then taking, taken away, and then there are the disciples. And in that moment, that's when they fast. So, as we look at this, there's a couple key things we need to see in this text. First, in verse 15, he says, Can the wedding guests mourn? So there's a sense in which we're supposed to understand, now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, that we are supposed to, in some way, mourn that he's not physically here with us now. We can't physically look at him. He lives in us. We understand all that. But there is something that's supposed to be that his, since his actual presence is not with us, it's been removed that we should have a yearning and a longing to have his, his felt presence with us and sensed in some very deep way. Not that we're actually going to have his physical presence back, but where we are right now, we want to strive towards the feeling and the sensing of that physical presence. Now, I know that's subjective, but it's certainly real. It's certainly real. And there should be a mourning, as verse 15 says. The bridegroom's not here, and I want him here. I want to feel his presence now. I want to have deeper intimacy. And so there should be a, a, a mourning or a sadness or a yearning. And then we see here that the bridegroom is not with them. And when the bridegroom is with them, there's no need to fast. But when he's gone, there must be fasting in order now to foster a deep yearning and longing um, to feast on Christ. Now, Piper says that fasting is times for yearning and aching and longing. The mourning and the yearning and the longing here is because we don't have the bridegroom. We say, I don't have the bridegroom. And you may say, I do have Jesus. Like, he's living in my heart. What are you talking about? Let let me read a a little excerpt from Piper. He's going to help us understand that, I think, a little better. It is true that Jesus has given the Holy Spirit in his absence and that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, as it says in Romans 8. So in a very profound and wonderful sense, Jesus is still with us. He said, speaking of the comfort of the Spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Nevertheless, there is a greater degree of intimacy that we will enjoy with Christ in heaven when this age is over. Just think about your relationship with Jesus right now and then your face-to-face relationship with Jesus in heaven. Certainly, we all would agree that it's going to be uniquely different in heaven and probably infinitely more joyous, right? And so... As we think about that, he's saying, we understand that. So in another sense, Christ is not with us, though we have the Spirit. We, we're not with him physically, but away from us. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we prefer to be absent from this body and at home with the Lord. And he also said in Philippians 1, to depart and be with Christ is very much better. So in other words, there is an ache inside every Christian that Jesus is not here as fully and as intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. We hunger for so much more, which is why that's why we fast. So when we say fasting always means feasting, I, I don't want you to freak out on the word fe- f- feast because that can, you can hear it and you can be like, what does that mean? That sounds kind of weird. Um, I've just alliterated it so we can remember it. But this is what we mean. It means whatever you're going to fast from, 
fill in the blank. I'm just going to say food because that's already said why. So here we have um, food. 30 minutes for breakfast, an hour for lunch, an hour for dinner. Two and a half hours per day. Fasting always means feasting. In other words, that particular block of two and a half hours per day, as I fast from that, I now have a free two and a half hours per day. And it doesn't mean that that two and a half hours is now free time for me. Just neutral time to go do whatever I want. More Xbox, more whatever. Instead, fasting always means feasting. With the new time that I have, I take that I'm fasting from food or whatever. I take that and I feast on Jesus. With the new two and a half hours I have every day, I'm going to take that two and a half hours and dive deeper into the word, dive deeper into prayer, dive deeper into memorizing, dive deeper into meditation. I'm not going to do whatever. Fasting always means feasting. It means taking away the, the, the need to check your Facebook for the two hours that you do or the four hours that you watch TV or the eating or whatever. And instead of that, it's not just going to hang out there in la-la land time. Instead, I'm going to take it and I'm going to devote myself, keep away the distractions, pray the Lord keeps me zoned in and feast on Jesus. Feast on his word. Seek him, know him, be with him in a more deep, intimate way. You're intentionally filling this time So as you feel hunger pains, you say, yes, I want food. But instead, more so for this two and a half hours a day, I want you more than I want food. So I will not have food. And instead, every time I feel hunger pains, that just pushes me deeper in prayer. That pushes me deeper in your word. That pushes me deeper to know you more intimately. Fasting always means feasting on Jesus. Always. It's not just fasting to do nothing. So that's the second thing we need to know. The third thing that we need to know is that we're all called to fast. Every single one of us. So in Matthew 9, um, it says it in verses 16 and 17, some of the most confusing verses in the Bible, uh, or at least (laughs) worst interpreted uh, here and there. But it's in the context of fasting. He says, no one puts an old piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment, and worse, a tear is made. No one does that. And you're thinking, well, no one does that? Yeah, no one does that. I mean, I didn't know that either, right? We don't know that. Um, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine spilled all over, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. We're all thinking, of course. I mean, I do that every week. Um, but we don't do that every week. But the principle that he's saying is, you've got the Old Testament, old wineskins, old cloth, Old Testament practices of fasting, you've got the New Testament forms of fasting, new wineskins, new cloth or whatever. And he says, you don't don't mix them anymore. There was the Old Testament way and it's not here anymore. And now it's the New Testament. And the New Testament is that we all fast. So we're going to see this in just a couple places. You can see it right there uh, in verse 15. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then, not perhaps, maybe they'll think about it, then they will fast. So, the New Testament product, practice of fasting is every single person that is a Christian is called to fast in some particular way. You can also see it back over in chapter 6. Um, and it says in six sixteen and six seventeen, and when you fast, not if, uh, but when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast. So there's, there's lots of evidence from the Bible that every single person that's a Christian is called to fast. Now, how often, the frequency, and what, whatever your idol is, 
I'm just going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit. I can name a bunch of stuff and name how often that kind of stuff. But I just don't think I need to. I trust the Holy Spirit. He's way better teacher than I am, way better convictor than I am. And he's a whole lot more gentler and, and, and grace-filled grace than I am. So I, don't, I just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do that in your life. All I can say, which is right here, is every single Christian, if it's medically possible for you, should fast. I don't know how often. And if you can't fast food, you can fast something. I mean, I've, I've had one of the greatest times of spiritual growth I ever had was in, I don't know, the year 1999, I think it was. For 40 days, I fasted um, secular songs, uh, television, and movies. Like, so all I had back then, I think, was Left Behind and the WOW worship series. <laughs> like, that was it. So it was like, none of that. We're just going straight Bible here, because that's, like, that's all I had, right? But because there was nothing really available, and besides that, like, I grew, I can't even, it was amazing how much God did in my life because I fasted and feasted. All the time I could be doing stuff, memorizing. I mean, pull out my guitar and just by myself in the living room because Christy was a school teacher and they have to go to bed at like 7 p.m. So for, I've got three hours here by myself and I'm just playing my guitar, singing, worshiping. Some of the deepest times of worship I've ever had have been with, G, with Jesus, with my guitar by myself, singing out to Christ in that particular time of fasting. So... That's strange. Um, so we're all called to fast, and we see it right there, that then they will fast. When you fast, every single one of us is called to. So those are some principles about fasting. You want to know some things about fasting, that's it. Now, the second section is, what are the three things then that we're going to fast for? If you say, okay, FUD, I'm signing on, I agree, I believe, that sounds good to me, then what are we going to fast for? Now, these, I'm going to give you three things here. Um, but this isn't an exhaustive list of everything that you can fast for. For example, um, every big major decision I've ever made when it comes to job, big, huge family decisions, or like going to seminary, or changing from one church to another, or planting a church or something like that, I fasted. So that's not on this list. So I've, I've gone to Christy and I've said, Christy, I feel like God wants us to do big, huge change. You know, fill in the blank. And I keep doing them to her. She's she knows every three years it happens again. Um, but so she's like, okay. And I say, so I don't know whether I should do it or not. I don't know whether the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this or not. So I'm just going to fast. And then when God says what I'm doing, I'll let you know. And until I'm not going to eat, I'm just going to seek him and through prayer and fasting and say, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my, my life in your hands, Lord, and I trust you that whenever you reveal to me, you will reveal to me. And sometimes that's shorter, and sometimes it's like, Fud, dude, you need to eat. Are you okay? Do you know yet? I don't know yet. Whew, I'm getting nervous about you. Like Christy would say, I really want you to know. And I mean, it's just the way it is, right? But every big life decision, I've just fasted for. Now, these three, I'm looking at us corporately, um, and I'm thinking, these are the things that Remedy Church needs to fast for. So if you signed on and you say, I believe it's biblical, I believe the Lord wants me to, I want to do it for his glory, I want to feast on Jesus, there's an angst growing in me that says, I, it, it can't be the way it is anymore, I have this great homesickness for God, okay, here's what we're going to fast for, three things. What will Remedy Church fast for? The first is that Remedy Church needs to see and know Jesus more intimately. Remedy Church needs to see and know Jesus more intimately. And this is not some kind of indictment that says you don't see and you don't know Jesus very well. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we all need to see and know Jesus more intimately. 
as we read in Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you. Psalm 63.1, O oh God, you are my God. My soul faints for you. My, flesh, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So um, we know that with the psalmist that we should have this deep desire to say, I need to see Jesus more with the eyes of my heart. I want to know him more deeply. John Piper, as he's talking about this communion with God, this is what he says. For those that see and know Jesus in deep ways versus those who don't. He says, little hearts, those who don't see and know Jesus very deeply or intimately, little hearts give big lusts, big power. But big hearts for Jesus give little lust, no power. Our hearts grow by seeing, grow for Jesus, by seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. And so we desperately need to see and know Jesus more intimately so that we have a huge heart for Christ, which gives little lusts, no power at all in our life. Because I don't struggle maybe with the same thing that you struggle with, but we all, if we're honest, are struggling with something. I, I, can, be, I can feel with you with the struggle, and it might not be the same thing. But I do know that when the Spirit comes and convicts, you hate it. You're like, God, end it. I want it gone. I want to know you and see you more intimately so nothing has power in my life. So what happens then if corporately as a church body, we start seeing and knowing Jesus more intimately? What are some of the benefits of this? Now, these verses are, are on the screen, but another one, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says that we are beholding the glory of God, that if we are seeing and knowing him more intimately, we're literally beholding the glory of God, that we are being transformed into the same image as Jesus from one degree of glory to another. As we see and know him, we become more like him. That's what it says in Psalm 115.8. Those whom we worship, we become more like So if we worship idols, we become more like our idol. If we worship Jesus, we become more like Christ. And so one of the great benefits of seeing and knowing him more intimately is being transformed into his image. In in Isaiah chapter 6, in the New Testament, it tells us that Isaiah actually looked upon King Jesus on his throne. And as Isaiah looked onto Jesus, this was an opportunity for him to see and know Jesus in a very intimate way. As he saw him, it says that he said this. Isaiah looked on Jesus and said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, coming face to face with the King of kings, Jesus. Being able to see and know Jesus in a more intimate, deep way, Isaiah was very much, it gave him more clarity to be able to see the things that are idolatrous in his life, where he says, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips. So another benefit is that we are much easier able to identify idols in our life. And as we identify those idols, you can also see that he's, Woe is me. There's a repentant heart that's evident in the, in the, eyes of, or in the heart of Isaiah. So some benefits of seeing and knowing Jesus is, and this is painful, idols in your life are exposed. But beautifully, repentance also is coupled with it. And so there's, there's great benefit from this. Also, and I think this may be, may be the most beautiful thing, um, one of the benefits of seeing and knowing Jesus more intimately is that from Romans eight thirty three and 34, we're reminded that Jesus 
has already conquered all the punishment of sin for us. That sin has been vanquished from us completely. Romans 8, 33, 34 says this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, is there anybody in the world that can come up to one of God's chosen people and say, they're a sinner because of this particular thing? In a sense, yes, they can. But God is in a real sense saying, no way. Because every sin you're going to bring against them, Jesus has already paid for every single one of them on the cross. There's no charge you can make against these particular people that follow Jesus, his elect. Who shall bring a charge against any of God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, the reason why is because God has said, I declare you innocent. And if God has declared you innocent, who's going to speak against that? You know, Joe Blow's not going to be able to say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm declaring him guilty. God's going to be like, who are you, Joe Blow? You're nobody. I've said they're innocent. You don't mean anything in this, in, this, in this discussion. And so when he says in Romans 8, 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn them? Christ Jesus is the one that died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us right now. Seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus more intimately, in some ways, helps us understand that when we see him literally at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, reminds us he has already conquered everything when it comes to sin. There's nothing that holds sway over us when it comes to sin. I don't know about you, but I absolutely need to hear that. And I need to see and know Jesus more intimately to be reminded of what he's done for me constantly. So that's the first thing that we need to do is the reason why Remedy Church is going to fast is because we need to see and know Jesus more intimately. The second thing is this, is that Remedy Church desires to see the salvation of souls. In other words, we want to go before our Father, the God of salvation, and beseech Him by saying, Father, there are people in my life that I dearly love that do not know you, and I am coming before you fasting. And as I feel these hunger pains, I say, I want to eat, but more so, I want my friend Jeff to know you. He's not saved, or she, whatever, she doesn't know you. And so I will fast as a demonstration to you, not because you're somehow obligated to move since I'm fasting, but instead, out of the overflow of your gracious, out of the overflow of your mercy, you would see this and say, Because I'm praying, and we know that prayer does stuff, God, save them. Would you do something? I'm beseeching you. Through fasting and prayer, God, please save them. Remedy Church desires to see the salvation of souls. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And the reason why we're seeking through fasting is because God is able to do vastly more than we can ever even conceive to pray for. Whatever the biggest notion of anything that you can say, if I'm going to pray the biggest prayer that I can literally muster up with my finite mind, the biggest thing ever, that doesn't even come close to what he can do. Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory and the church in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
So we desire to see people saved. Fasting is about Jesus. Fasting is a temporary time where we don't participate in eating something so that that's common in our life. In order to feast on Jesus, we're coming to petition God to move mightily for us on his behalf for his glory. Fasting is rooted in a deep desire now to align ourselves into the will of God, to be amazed by him that says, Whatever your will is, Lord, I don't know. I want to be aligned with it, but I want this particular person to know you. And so I will seek you through fasting that you would see this and you would say, I'm going to answer that prayer out of the overflow of my mercy and grace and save them. We want him to do more than we can ever conceive or think. And so we seek God through fasting, begging him to save souls, especially those close beloved ones to us. The third reason that Remedy Church is going to fast is because we want to hasten the day that Jesus would come. And this is straight out of the text of Matthew. As we saw, whenever those disciples of John came, he says in verse 15, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. We don't have him with us right now. And maybe you haven't experienced this particular time yet now in your life, but maybe you have. But there comes a day, at least in my life, where I'm going through week after week, month after month, and things just get more difficult. More loved ones are experiencing cancer. More struggles. More not following through with the way that I should have with my uh, wife. Whenever she, I know she wants me to lead her in a different way or in a better way. Or as wives, you know that you're supposed to submit to your husband, but it's just not happening whatsoever. And you're just carrying on, it becomes more heavy and more heavy, and you say to yourself, this world is not my home anymore. It would be fine with me, Jesus, if you would come right now. I've gotten to the end of my rope where I don't know that I can take this world anymore. Come, Lord Jesus, right now. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. It's just too hard. This world is difficult. I can't take it. I can't see them suffer anymore. And we know in heaven there's no more suffering. We all get to this place where it's just difficult. Now, if you're in college, it's right before you're taking your exam and you're going to fail and you didn't study. Like, Jesus, just come right now. Like, it would be the perfect time. I am going to destroy this test or it's going to destroy me. I'm going to fail it bad. And I'd just love to go to heaven right now. Like, like, like that was, I understand, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, instead, it's as we experience pain as we go in through life, and listen, I know in, in another sense, and I don't want to belittle this, because I know in another sense, like I've got five children, so I enjoy seeing them age. And so there's a sense of me that's like, yes, I want Jesus to come. But if he doesn't, I love my children, and I love watching them age, and I love hearing the little funny things they say, and it'd be great to have grandchildren and experience that. And so I like those gifts, and I love my wife, and it's, it's fun watching us try to figure out marriage over 15 years. It's difficult, but it's also fun. And like, so I'm not saying, like, so say, God, I don't want like those things anymore. Like, I'm not saying that. Of course, those things are great, and enjoying those things is what we're supposed to do. Our Father loves us, and He gives us these gifts. But there's also... It's this awareness as we go through life that this isn't my home. <laughs> more and more I realize as I'm walking through this, when I see my mom dying of cancer or my dad get a brain tumor or different things that you might be experiencing, you just say, I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another world. And there's just times in my life where I just want him to come. 
and fasting, he says, right in the text is the means by which we hasten the day of Christ. We hasten the day of Christ. The bridegroom is not here, and through mourning and fasting and prayer, it comes about. So, those are the three things that Remedy Church would fast for. We would fast because we want to see and know Jesus more intimately. We fast because we want to see salvation of souls. And we fast because we want to hasten the day that Jesus will come. So the third one, um, the immediate application then. What are the three things that we can do right now to fast? Let me, let me preface this with um, just some, some things in the Bible and even history. Most great movements of God are prefaced with fasting and prayer. It's just the way it seems. All kind of things that are about to happen throughout the Bible and even throughout church history are prefaced with a time of fasting and prayer. So even in the Old Testament in Joel 2.12, he says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Rip your hearts open, not your shirt, as if that's doing something. Rip your heart open and say, God, come fill me. Or right before Jesus goes to have, be tempted by the devil, he goes out into the wilderness and Luke Three and Matthew 3 and fasts for 40 days before he is tempted and Acts 13 verses 1 and 2 when Paul and Barnabas are, are going to be sent off. They're trying to decide should we send Paul and Barnabas off to go do this great missionary journey. It says that they spent a time of fasting and praying and then they knew from the spirit that they were supposed to send them out. And as you look throughout church history, there's these great movements of God where Jesus blows the doors off and scores of people just start getting saved. And as you Picture your way back, you're, you go through the history notes and you look, it started with a man or a w- woman and just a couple people n- nestling themselves off in a, in a prayer corner, fasting and praying for days and then all of a sudden, boom, he just explodes and opens up the floodgates. So it's just, just the way it works. And so as we're going to look at these particular things, this isn't anything out of the ordinary, that we would be petitioning and applying these things in this way. This is the way that God moves. Fasting and prayer, seeking his face. And so how are we going to do it at Remedy? There's three ways that you can immediately participate corporately in fasting. We're going to do this together. Now, aren't you breaking that rule over in, in, in Matthew 6, bud? Well, no, we're not. We can fast corporately. Um, we just don't have to like disfigure our faces and say, I'm, I'm so starving, I can't even eat. Like, carry me. Like, we're not going to do that, right? Um, so three ways. Um, next week, we're going to have our five-year celebration the week after that, I'm going to do a two-week series, February 2nd, February 9th, on marriage. The Bride and the Groom is a little series. I'm going to speak to women, brides-to-be, hopeful brides-to-be, or current brides the first week. And the second week, I'm going to speak to husbands, or husbands-to-be, or hopeful husbands-to-be the second week. Everybody should be here for those particular things. So the first thing that I think that we can all fast for is whichever week is your week, women, February 2nd, Men, February 9th. The week leading up to that, I think that you should take one day that week to fast and feast. Take one day that week, if you're medically able to fast, or if you can't fast food, fast something else, where you'd say, Lord, this coming week, your word will be expounded. Your word will be opened. You're going to speak directly to me as a wife or as a husband and confront my lack of submission, confront my lack of leading, confront my lack of serving, I mean, whatever. God, whatever it is that you're going to teach me, I pray that you would right now through this fast open up my heart to be receptive to the things that you would lead me and that Remedy Church would just have 
an amazing growth in our marriages. February 2nd, February 9th, leading up to it. Current brides, brides-to-be, hopeful brides-to-be, whatever. Same with the husbands. That's the first one. The second one, that, that's, I think that's easy. That's one day. One day. The next one is, is a longer one, and then the third one's a little shorter. The, the next one is, is, is pretty, pretty big, though. And my goal in, in saying this is not that you have to do all three. My goal is that you would do one. If you want to do all three, do all three. But at least do one of them. The second one is this past month at corporate prayer, I, I challenged us all to think about three people in your life that don't know Jesus. And for this entire year of 2014, make it your goal to share the gospel, to pray for them and share the gospel with them throughout 2014. Evangelism is message delivered, not effect produced. It's, you tell them the gospel, God saves them. Not, that's, I, I quoted Jai Packer there. So you, you, don't, you don't save them. You deliver the message in the most Christ-honoring, humble, submissive, praying manner. And then God, and so I challenge us all, think of three people that you can pray for this year and share the gospel with at some particular point. And so over the course of 2014, why would we not fast for them? I picked Tuesday. If Tuesday's not your day, go with another day. I didn't pick Wednesday because we eat together on the first Wednesday of each month. So pick Thursday or pick Friday or whatever. But one day a week, you don't eat or you fast from something. And that particular day is set aside to pray for those three people this year that don't know Jesus and opportunities to be able to talk to them about Christ every week. You set it aside. And something crazy happens when you do that. You think about them more. You pray for them more. When you're around them, you think about the fasting that you've been doing weekly or monthly for them. And there's just this desire where you say, I'm going to tell them, Spirit. I, I want to tell them about you. I want to tell them what Christ has done. I'm going to have the boldness because you have given it to me. There's a deep yearning and, and sadness in my, my heart for them that they don't know Jesus and I'm going to tell them. And having not fasted, you wouldn't likely have that. The third one is this. And since we're Protestants, um, Catholics call it Lent, but since we're Protestants, I called it the 40-day period leading up to Easter weekend. I'm really creative. So, um, March the 5th is our very first corporate prayer, or is our, or is our corporate prayer in March. We, we have a corporate prayer together the first Wednesday of each month. So March the 5th from, is that first day. April 17th, 40 days later, is our Good Friday service. And so for those 40 days, on that, on that corporate prayer on March the 5th, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have more worship that night. We're going to stay together. We're going to pray together. And we're going to begin our fast together. I'm going to try to write um, another 40-day fast like I did for Ephesians so that we'll all start it that day. And during that 40 days, we would fast. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to fast from food for 40 days. Maybe you can, and maybe some of you will. But we're going to fast from something. We're going to fast from something. Or over the 40 days, we're going to fast once a week you know, or seven of you are going to get together and we're going to, you're all going to pick a day and for the whole 40 days, every day one of y'all will be fasting or something like that. But we're going to call it the 40-day period leading up to Easter weekend fasting. Um, where for that 40 days, we'll think of something that we can fast from and during that, we will feast on Jesus and during that time, as leading up to Easter, Good Friday and Easter, we're going to ask the Lord to do an amazing work in our church leading up to that, Good Friday, Easter, and even beyond, that he would do something supernatural in this church. 
Now, don't mishear this because I'm not saying that we would grow numerically then after that because we fasted. That's, that's like the furthest thing from my mind. That's not what I'm saying at all. Instead, I'm saying that we corporately would seek the face of God for 40 days and that he would do something in our hearts and that we would grow spiritually. And if people get saved by the scores and they go to other churches, praise God. I mean, it's not the goal is numerical growth here. The goal is spiritual growth in us as a church. And so that's, that's the third thing that we're going to do. And I would just ask that you would consider one or some of these three things. And we'll talk about it ongoing. I want to conclude with a, uh, a John Piper quote from Hunger from God. And then we'll go into a time of worship together. It's kind of lengthy, but it's, it's so good. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. Not the longer you walk with Christ. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Jesus. So if you've been walking with him for 40 years and you have no hunger, this means you're not walking deeply. The hungrier you get for Christ, the more homesick you get for heaven, the more you want all the fullness of God, the more you want to be done with sin, the more you want the bridegroom to come again, the more you want the church revived, purified with the beauty of Jesus, the more you want a great awakening to God's realities in your city, the more you want to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, penetrate into darkness of all the unreached people groups in the world, the more you want to see a false worldview yield to the force of truth, capital T, the more you want to see pain relieved, tears wiped away, death destroyed, the more you want to long for every wrong to be made right and the justice and the grace of God to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, Don't miss this. If you don't feel strong desires for the full-on presence manifestation of the glory of God in your life, it is not because you have drunk deeply and have been satisfied. It's not that you just got all of it and you're like, oh, I'm so full of God, I can't get any more. I don't want to drink deep anymore. He said, instead, it's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul has been stuffed with small things And there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God. And it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much I want you, oh God. This much I want you to come and just wreck me. I can't go on with the way that things are anymore. I need to feel for Christ the way I haven't felt in a long time or perhaps never have. So let's corporately, as we've been thinking about spiritual disciplines, join in together with this and say, yes, I want to seek Christ through this. Would you pour out your spirit in my heart and in this church and through the fasting that we would Just be amazed with the overflow of your grace in our life. We're going to go into a time of worship. And so however the Lord's leading right now, if maybe you need to just sit and think and pray and and consider what a fasting might look like or even just consider why you never have and and do the work of trying to identify those places in your heart that maybe don't want to and, and ask God for help and ask God to give you the power to do it. Or perhaps you're just fired up and you're like, I just want to stand and sing out to Christ. I'm so fired up. 
however the Spirit's leading, I just ask that you would be obedient. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll sing together through worship. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time where we can come together as a church and look into your word and hopefully be challenged by God, by the Spirit of God, not by me. I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in the church, in this congregation, that as we think on this whole idea of fasting, that we would find a deep angst in our heart to say, I'm homesick for God and I want him now. I need to know him and experience him in a more deep and intimate way to remind myself that sin has no power in me and to kill sin in my life. Would you do a work in this church that afterwards we can say, only God did that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.